0: if I told you at my house I had this this water faucet and this water faucet was connected to a well and the well was like deep within the earth and it had these these minerals and, and all that that um, were like so beneficial. It's the best tasting water um, plus it, it helped you. In fact, part of the proof would have been that that you know, I started drinking this water and, and all of a sudden, my hair started to grow. And, um, you know, and, and I just looked like I was, you know, not, you know, 35 like I am, but I was much younger, you know, maybe like 20 or so. Um, and I said, you know, would you like some? And you'd say, yeah, for sure, I want some, that's, that's awesome. But then I told you, well, there's a little catch. The catch is that sometimes what comes out of this same faucet is poisonous, and it could kill you. Certainly it will hurt you, maybe make you sick. Never really know what's going to come out, but when that great water comes out, it is life-giving. Well, If you're a smart person, you would probably go, that's not a really good risk that I'm willing to take. We're going to talk about that today. Not water from a faucet. We're going to talk about the importance of truth to disciples. Remember, we've been talking about what a healthy church is. And we've been talking about a healthy church is a community of disciples. If you are not a disciple, you're not part of a church. You may be the member of a church, but you're not part of a church. You may be coming here, and you may be going to some other church, but you're not part of a church unless you're a disciple. So a healthy church is a community of disciples. But it's a community of disciples who... Who understand that they, that they serve, they serve and they learn and they're being transformed into the image of someone who called themse- who called himself the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is should be central to who we are as Christians. And the reason for no if there's no other reason, it's simply this. Part of God's plan is that we would speak truth. That we would would tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be people of the truth, people of Jesus. So if that's what's supposed to be coming out of our mouths, and it comes out sometimes, and sometimes it's life-giving, but also... There are other times when what comes out of our mouth is false and poisonous. How do people know when we're telling the truth and when we're not? Who would really wanna listen to someone when you never know what's coming out of their faucet is truth and life-giving or poisonous and can kill? Truth is so important. And it's so important in our world because in our world today, our world is simultaneously deceived and deceiving. We live in a world that has accepted a lie and believed that that this lie is, is that if we just keep going the way we're going and we just keep believing in ourselves and we keep doing our best, we're eventually going to evolve into this, to this higher um, level of, of being. This, we're going to be this, this, this better um, world, this better society. Yeah, we're hitting some rough spots now, but we just got to keep believing. We just got to keep, you know, you know holding on to one another, brothers and sisters, and, and, you know, let's just keep doing our best, and, and someday we're going to get there. The world's deceived. And it's not a new lie, by the way. It's been around for a while. But the world is also based on deceiving. Because you see, when you when you believe a lie, and you are you actually begin to seriously pursue that lie, even if you don't know it's a lie, you start pursuing it. At some point in time you're going to realize it's a lie. And then you have two choices. One is admit it's a lie and then go find truth. The second one is to think like, I've invested so much time in this lie. I've invested so much of my life in this lie. This lie has, you know, actually made me kind of comfortable in this world. I got stuff, I got money, I got a nice house. You know, I feel pretty good about myself. Other people think highly of me, and I've invested so much in this lie that what I need to do is keep lying, join the lie, tell other people about how awesome it is. I live in this world. It's deceived, and it's deceiving. It's a world that needs truth. And so we We have to understand that this isn't new and it's always been important, but it is vitally important today because there are a lot of people that are out there believing even that they're doing, that they're following Christianity and they're spreading untruths in a very sincere way. They really believe it. I would quote from the great situation comedy of the 90s, Seinfeld, where one of the guys who is known for lying was giving advice on how to lie well. And his advice was, as long as you believe it's true, it's not a lie. You know what? It's funny in a situation comedy But that's how a lot of people live. As long as they believe it's true, it's not a lie. So we go 2,000 years ago to Jesus, teaching what it means to be in his kingdom. As you know, this whole year, we are focusing on being a disciple, what discipleship is. We're focusing on how are we going to be a healthy church. And we are going to begin to take steps towards that. Not that we're not a good church now. Not that we don't have a lot of things going for us now. No, that's true. But if you are a church, you are always growing, which means you're always changing. You're never settling. You're always becoming more and more like Christ, unless maybe someday we'll have a business meeting and we'll vote and decide in our vote that we have become as much like Christ as humanly possible, therefore we can stop. Okay? So anybody want to make that motion during a business meeting, let me know. And we'll debate it. That's when we can stop. Until we have become as much like Christ as possible, we are always going to be changing. Always. So he's teaching this. And we are... In verse 33 of chapter 5, passage of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to, to his followers, and there's some debate over how many people he's talking to. It doesn't really matter for our purposes. What we know is, we know whether there's thousands or whether there's just a few, he's talking to those that really want to be his disciples. And he's telling them, this is what it's like. This is what it requires. This is how you behave. This is what you value and what you think. So he says in verse 33, he says, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for." It is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. There's been a lot of ink spilled. There's been a lot of people... Writing and studying on this. There's even people that, that hotly debate whether, if you go into a court of law, whether you should put your hand on the Bible and, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, etc. That's not what this passage is really about. This passage is not about whether oaths are good or bad. No. Jesus is simply using all of that to get to what the main message is. A lot of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount is he's doing like, like like, I do. I mean, I could just get up here and some of you might appreciate it, spend 60 seconds, give you three sentences and say, that's the message, go home. And then some of you would be like, yes, let's go home. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's, he's illustrating this. He's explaining it more. But the point is simply this. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Let what you say be simply yes or no. So it's not an argument against oaths. It's not an argument against swearing on God or by the earth or anything like that. It's about being people of your word. It's about being people of truth. See, what Jesus is doing is he's going through what's called the second tablet of the Ten Commandments. If, if you see the Ten Commandments, you, know, you have the first tablet, which talks a lot about relationship to God, to the Sabbath, etc. Then you have the second tablet. And the second tablet are really the fundamentals for a good, healthy society. It's in the second tablet. And he's already talked about murder. He's talked about adultery. And how he's talking about false witness, lying, being people of your word. And so he, he, he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. What he's saying to his disciples is this, your word is your word, period. You shouldn't have to say, Let me be honest with you. I mean, if someone says, let me be honest with you, what you need to tell them is, so have you been lying to me up until now? Or let me tell you the truth. No. Your word is your word. If you promise it, it is as good as done. You don't need a contract. Your word is your bond. And this, again, we live in a world that has contracts. We live in a world where the written is way more powerful than the verbal. We live in a world, especially in American society, where where we want to take apart every word and and we want to attack people who might use a word incorrectly or use it imprecisely and say, ah, you said this. It's really not what this is talking about. What he's saying is you as a disciple should be a person of truth in your community of disciples that your word is all you need. That your community is so healthy and so based on truth that your word is all you need. You don't need anything else. to to do anything else, it's not because to swear by an oath is evil. It's because to swear by an oath is to say, my word isn't good enough. It's not good enough for me as a disciple of Christ, as one who who is devoted to, to the one who called himself the way, the truth, and the life, to the one who has God's spirit within him. It's not good enough for me just to say, I will do it. I have to prove it by saying something else like, oh, I swear by the heavens, or I swear some other reason. Because if I have to do that, then one of two things, or perhaps both of these things are a problem. So if I have to do that, one of the things that could be a problem is, I haven't shown myself to be a person of integrity. I haven't shown myself to be a person who can be taken at their word. So I have to add something to my word. Because I have so many times not followed through on what I said I would do. The other other thing, it could be that, that it's not my problem, but it's, the other people I'm talking to, the other people, the other disciples in the church where they don't trust. There's something about them where they can't, they can't just take another disciple at the, at the disciple's word. Instead, they have to say like, oh, I, I need something more powerful. You need to swear on your mother's grave or something. You know, some, I don't even know where that phrase came from, but something people say. You got to add to it because I'm not going to take you just at your word. So one of those two things is going on, or both. Either way, the community is weak. The community is not becoming like Christ, the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. You don't, can't have this, this so, such an important relationship, this trust that we need to have in one another. I've asked this before, and I think it's worth asking again. If it suddenly became illegal to be a Christian, to gather as Christians, and it became illegal and the punishment was that you would be be at minimum uh, sent to prison. And so we had to develop a kind of underground, secret kind of way to meet. And we did everything. We got the secret handshake. Maybe we didn't do the handshake. Maybe we had the you know the head nod and three times means you're a Christian, two times means you're not. You know, we had it all down. And we had a meeting and we shared that with everybody. These are the things. This is how you identify yourself. Think about this. Who would you trust to actually keep that secret? Would you trust everybody in this room? Or do you, do you know that some people would go home and they would go right away, they go home and go, oh man, our church has this cool secret handshake. Want to see it? Or they're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Look, this is our church doing the, the secret handshake. Who would you trust? I'm not even talking about trusting people who might say like, oh, um, you know, like Judas, I'm going to get a financial reward for this. Who would you just trust to be able to keep a secret that is supposed to keep us all safe? Or who would you trust to to say that, you know, um, I met this person. I met this person, and he wants to join our group. So I told him all our secrets. Would you trust them? Look around the room. Ask yourself. You know, we're not in that situation, so we can kind of take this trust thing kind of lightly. We don't really have to think about our word being our word. But what if the very existence of this church, what if your freedom depended on you trusting each other? to that level. I think we take this a little more seriously. I think we'd be a little more careful. And I think the people that we would really connect with and unite with would be people that we could trust in every way. Well, we shouldn't need persecution to be a community of people who trust one another. We should be able to do it now. But I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons churches, not just our church, but I would guess most churches, if not all of them, will never get to this level where they can just take each other at their word is because they don't know each other. We don't know each other Well, enough to trust each other with our very lives. Therefore, the solution to developing trust, to be people of truth, that we can take each other at our word, is that we got to get to know one another. We have to take the time, we have to build those relationships. You see, we can continue being this way and we're cool because you know what? Our lives aren't at stake. The future of the church isn't at stake. And we can kind of continue along our way, all kind of hanging out here together, but never really allowing our lives to merge. The solution is... If we want to be people that we can take at at each other's word, unless we're fools, we need to know each other. And we need to know who we are in Christ because that's where our trust should be centered and that's where our trust should begin. And so why is this important? Well, as I said, it's important for our own community, if we're going to be the kind of church that, that, that is healthy and pleasing to God, we need to be a church that trusts one another. We need to be a church where we know each other more than just each other's names. We need to know each other's stories. We need to live life together. But it's also because our mission depends on our being trustworthy, God has entrusted us with speaking truth. And just like my water faucet, that doesn't exist, by the way, so don't come to my house trying. Obviously, I don't have hair. That we we cannot be people that sometimes tell the truth and sometimes don't. God has entrusted with us to communicate the truth. Therefore, all of our communication has to be truthful. The world might not like it, but we need to speak it. Our reputation needs to be a reputation of those people might have a lot of problems, but you know what? They speak truth. They at least speak what they believe to be true. They're not lying, not intentionally. That at least has to be minimum. James talks about this. He talks about the tongue and he talks about how, how difficult it is to, to, to tame the tongue. He says it's a, a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening? both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pine yield fresh water. James, not surprisingly, is being harder than I am. You know what James is saying? James is saying, no, they can't. So James is saying, if what comes out of your mouth is not truth, then what's in your heart is not truth. He's saying if what comes out of your mouth is is bitterness where you're always negative and looking down on people and you're always judging them, that's what's in your heart. He's saying these things cannot come from the same fountain. If we're going to be people who have been given the task, the mission, to communicate the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ to this world, then what not only comes out of our mouths, but what's inside of us has to be truth. What else happens? Why else is truth so important? well, as we've already kind of talked about it it, 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 it does something to our community. In fact, deception will damage relationships based on love. If your relationship is based on God's love, then, then, then truth is, is a very important part of that. Because something's going to happen to love if we stop speaking truth. And this happens in a lot of different ways. You know, sometimes it, it, it happens when people are just, for whatever reason, lying. But it happens a lot of ways when we're just silent. It happens when we deceive because we act like everything's okay. We act like we don't really have a problem. We smile to someone's face and we talk bad about them behind their back. And in Hawaii, we've almost made an art of this. We've almost made an art of being pleasant and courteous and nice to people face to face. But as soon as we're away, soon as we're away, it is all the gossip and the criticism and the negativism. My first exposure to this on a big scale was when I went to my first job at the, I was, well, I don't want to say because, you know, maybe someone can connect the dots and figure out who these people were. But I remember I was just a student, and in my office, you know, we would be talking about how much people didn't, didn't like how, how the person above our office was doing things. And they would be so upset. So upset, so upset. And we gotta do something, we gotta do, so upset. And then we'd have a meeting. What happens in the meeting? All of that talking in the office. None of it happens in the meeting. Nothing gets accomplished, nothing gets changed. Nobody deals with the issues. And we just go back to the same thing. And I realized at that point, These people just want to complain. They don't want to make things better. They just want to complain. Deception damages relationships based on love. Oh, you can go along a little ways lying as long as you're not found out. But the damage is already done. But you know, when you have relationships that aren't based on love, which is what Christian relationships should be based on, but when you have relationships based on power, deception is a weapon. And it's a very powerful weapon. You watch what's going on in, in our media and our politics today. Deception is the weapon of the Powerful. Understand, if you are tempted to use deception when you're supposed to be dealing with something in the church with relationships that are based on love, you have left love, and you have moved to power. You have decided that, that winning, getting your way, is more important than demonstrating God's love. Deception is a weapon. We did a study on Revelation, and, and, you know, I've read Revelation my whole life, and this last study, you know, something just popped out of me that I'm like, how did I miss this all these years? And so we would teach it on Wednesday night that when you look at Revelation, how many times in Revelations, in the different visions, is the tongue mentioned or the mouth, the fire that comes out of the mouth of the demon? Of the of the dragon, of the beast. You know what that's talking about? It's clear that it's not talking about fire, it is talking about deception. It is saying, Re- Revelation is saying is that the whole world is going to be deceived. And the only ones not deceived are people who are truly following Christ. In other words, there will be a lot of people who come to churches who consider themselves Christians, who have been deceived, but they think they're walking in truth. It's the power. It's the weapon that's used in relationships based on power. It goes against what God says he wants his community to be. And that's why he says a healthy community of disciples, you don't need oaths. You don't need to vow. You don't need to swear by something. Your word is your word. Truth. Well, we also know that Paul will write later on something that I think needed to be you know needed to come up needed people needed to be reminded of because some people get that truth part right and you'll you'll hear people uh, kind of brag about it and go you know you know I'm a I'm a truthful person I just I just say what I what, what I believe I just speak the truth well that's two problems with that one is Your opinion is not necessarily truth. Understand that? Your opinion is not necessarily truth. When I teach, um, you know, students who are um, college and seminary students, and, and they write papers for me, they think truth is their opinion with some Bible verses sprinkled in it. And unfortunately there's a lot of people who believe that your opinion is not truth. So be careful. Be careful about what you're saying is really truth. Because a lot of times we have we, our opinion is either wrong because we don't have enough facts or we don't understand context or because it's fueled by some other agenda that maybe we're not even aware of. That's the problem that's happening in our society today. You have have people, and I'm not just just talking about young people. It's not just young people. It's older people do. It's just the young people get on the news all the time. Where they they have a lot of opinions that they have accepted to be fact and truthful, and they're willing to go out and fight for these things no longer willing to listen anymore, to carefully consider things. It's like, we don't have time for that. Truth is not opinion. But the other thing that Paul says in James, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to plead, I have a problem, I can't hear out of my right ear, so I don't know what I just said. What Paul says in Ephesians, okay, Paul says in Ephesians, is that we speak truth, but we speak truth in love. You know what that means? What that means is, if you got an opinion to share, or if you got something you need to tell somebody, what you tell them, the way you say it to them, your objective in saying it to them, is all about love. And here's the proof of love. The proof of love is this, that if you're going to tell somebody something, your your highest goal is that your love for that person and that person's love for you is going to grow. And it's going to be more and it's going to be stronger. When we speak truth in love, it's not just a, I said my peace, and I'm walking away. No. You say your your peace, and you stay. And you do all the hard stuff that's required to make the relationship stronger. It has to be our goal. But no, we just want to speak truth. That's not what Paul says. Speak truth in love. You know, there's a question I'm not going to answer today. I'm just going to raise the question. It's a question actually we have in the Bible, but it's also a question that's resonated in, in, uh, in human civilization as long as there's been human civilization. It's the question of what is truth? What is truth? Again, don't have time to unpack that this morning. Some of the truth that we're talking about is the, is the truth of what's, you know, happening, events in our lives and things like that. But what is ultimate truth? What is the truth that matters? i invite you. You know, Eric Dissinger has been doing a great job on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Sunday nights, it's, we call it young adults, but my sister has started coming, so it's just, it's just adults. Um, anybody can come, all right, at this point. And they meet at our house, we have dinner and all. And Eric teaches. And then he does the same thing on, on Wednesday night in our, in our midweek study. And part of the discussion is, what is truth? I'm going to invite you to come do that. But I think we have a general enough sense of what we're talking about today, about being people of, 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 of our word, to be people who speak truth because we've been given the mission of speaking truth. So I've tried to end every sermon with some, some practical things. How to speak the truth in love. I'm going to give you six quick things. First of all, know that you are not omniscient. Omniscient means you know everything. So you have to accept you do not know everything. And when you know you do not know everything, you are more careful about how you speak truth to people. You will listen. You will want to hear you will want to learn. You will still speak truth. But you'll do it with a different attitude. I'm going to tell you the worst moments of me as a parent is when I went in and thought I understood a situation and scolded one of my kids and realized I didn't know. And I needed to go in slower. And I needed to find out what happened first. Know that you are not omniscient. Number two, know that what you see is not always what really is. Because what you see, believe it or not, often gets often gets kind of reinterpreted in your brain by just you know how you see things, but your own value system. You know, there was a photograph, and I don't have it for you, but about two or three months ago that came out, and it made all this national news because there was this high school student wearing a Donald Trump hat, and there was a like a Native American elder, and they were, they were staring at each other. And of course, people who wanted to see this as being... A teenager being disrespectful to this Native American elder, that's what they saw until the truth came out. Know that what you see is not always what it really is. Be, well, you know, be, aware, be careful of saying things, whoa, What happened? That part.) Um, <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe just Roy didn't want me to say it. Um, Don't say things like, this is what I would have done. Yeah, it may have been what you would have done. But you don't know. You're not in that situation. Don't assume you know what happened. Third, know that what you say is not always what others hear. Which means, again... If you notice there's a theme here, be careful. Be careful with not just what you say, be careful with how you say things. There is no spiritual gift of being crude and blunt and not tactful. Number four, know that your actions speak louder than words. But make no mistake, you still need words. See, a lot of people know the words. They can talk a good Christianity. But your actions speak louder than your words. As someone who's never done either of these things, I've been the outside observer to watch and wonder why people get, who, who drink alcohol so much get so upset with people who use drugs. I don't don't know the significant difference other than one is accepted in society and the other isn't. Your actions speak louder than words. If you spent all your life addicted to something, if you spent all your life, and by the way, it's not just those kind of things, it could be stuff like food. If you've not demonstrated any self-discipline, that's come from your your life in Christ, if you haven't demonstrated that and then you're expecting it of other people, your actions speak louder than your words. Live according to the standards that you say. Don't just talk a good Christianity, live it. Number five, the theme is again, slow down. And one of the ways we slow down is we pray. Pray. Pray that God will help you speak the truth in love. But pray specifically, number six, that your only motivation for speaking truth, your only motivation is so that your relationship with the other person will be closer and healthier. That's your motivation. It's not to prove you're right. It's not to get vengeance. It's not to vent your anger. It's not so other people can know how smart and righteous and wonderful you are. The only reason to speak truth has to be that your relationship with the other person will be closer and healthier. Why is this so important? Why are healthy churches so important? filled with healthy relationships, because as we've said multiple times over the past three or four months, the major witness to the world of the power of the Holy Spirit in this world, that Jesus Christ accomplished what the Bible says He accomplished, that God did what God said He would do, the major evidence is healthy communities of disciples united by a supernatural love That's why, that's why our health is so important. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why we'll emphasize it.